In the weeks leading up to Easter, you know now that I have been asking my team to speak each weekend. Now, some of you might think, wow, he's, he's spending five weeks on his Easter message. Nope, nope. I'm spending five weeks studying about 5,000 pages of Old Testament theology and archaeology. So, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And then I'll, be, I'll i got to finish this season by writing about 50 pages in response. But I'm just telling you, what are you doing in your spare time, Dad? A little bit of that. Um, uh, uh, so, but uh, uh, in, in these weeks, I've asked my team to speak. And each week, what I've asked them to do is to come and bring their alabaster box, that, that expression of their heart, their, their, to break open their lives before Jesus. And, their, well, the, and, and it's kind of been... Come, come across really as people's story, their, their life toward Christ. And you might have picked up so far, it's, we have, not only do we have a fantastic team, but we have quite a, quite a breadth of experience. We hear quite a breadth of people's experience in coming to Jesus and what that looks like. Well, this weekend, I have asked Pastor Gabby Groskoff, my associate pastor of student ministries, to come and speak. Gabby and Ozzy, now you know his name is Austin, but I just changed it. Gabby and Ozzy were married, married last spring and began working together to pastor our students late summer. And then they really came on in a more of a full-time arrangement in the fall. But here's the deal with uh, Team G. They are all in. And uh, they bring a genuineness and an enthusiasm and an honor and a sense of, where did they go? Oh, and a sense of style. Tremendous, tremendous sense of style, a faithfulness, and really they bring a joy to the room. Uh, Gabby was a student of mine at Northwest, and what I noted there when I encountered her and she was in the classroom was that no matter what room we were in, Gabby owned the room. Uh, and I thought, okay, I get this. And, and I, I kind of thought that I knew her, and I, and I liked what I knew of her, and I, I began to sense, like, hmm, I'm wondering what, what might happen here. Uh, but I, I didn't see this coming, but I'm glad it did. Uh, I mean, Austin, that's terrific. <laughs> the point is, I really thought that I knew her, but, what I, but in the, this last year, Lori and I have really grown to know and to love and appreciate her even more. First uh, Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, Paul writes this, Don't let anyone think little of you because you are young. Be their ideal. Let them follow the way you teach and live. Be a pattern for them in your love, your faith, and in your clean thoughts. Many people read, uh, they quote or read that passage in, in Timothy 4.12 and that says, let, let, let no man despise thy youth. And, uh, and they kind of take it incorrectly and as if Paul was saying that young people should be defensive, entitled, and brash. Hey, don't look down on me. Wait, you, Paul says you can't. He's not saying, you know, be defensive, be entitled, be brash. Paul is saying you are young, but don't give people a reason to look down on you. Instead, give them reasons to respect you. Gabby is our youngest staff member. 
but every day she gives me and all of our team reason to respect her. And I'm just going to ask you today to help me. Would you honor and as a, and me and my team? I'm thrilled to have Gabby and Ozzy on my team, and I'm delighted to welcome Pastor Gabby to my pulpit. This sure that I'm on here. Cool. I am so privileged to be working alongside the other staff members here who have already shared and who are going to share. I got to give a piece of my story last Wednesday at youth group, and it was the biggest honor. And so I'm really excited to share it with you this morning. Jesus has done just some awesome stuff in my life, and uh, I am who I am today all because of him. So I'm going to start by reading a scripture from Nehemiah. It's short and to the point. Nehemiah 8.10, the very last half of it says this. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I'm talking about joy. (laughs) I'm really excited about it, if you can't tell. (laughs) The joy of the Lord is my strength. So if you know me, you know I am all about joy. I'm easily excited. The little things make me happy. You know, in the movie Elf... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know how Buddy the Elf is like, I just love smiling. Smiling's my favorite. Well, that's me. That's 100% me. I love smiling. It's my favorite. My parents would also tell you that when I was a kid, I would walk up to complete stranger kids and be like, hi, my name's Gabby. Who are you? That was all me. I was just so excited about life, so excited to make friends and meet new people. And I actually had the word joy spoken over me many different times growing up. It would come up in my life, and I actually shrugged it off a lot. But people would come up to me, and they'd say, Gabby, you are so full of life and full of energy, and that's amazing. Or Gabby, you're always so happy all the time. Gabby, you're so full of joy. And I was like, cool, that's awesome, like whatever. (laughs) I didn't know that it would mean so much to me later on in life. So a little bit about my background. I was raised in a Holy Spirit-filled Pentecostal church. My mom worked there and still does. And my dad served in multiple capacities and still does. And because of their amazing commitment to the church, um, it was a requirement to be there on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings and Wednesday nights. And then any other time the church was open, and then any other time my mom needed help with something. I was just always at the church. It was not optional. And you know, that grew a love of Jesus in me that I've had for as long as I can remember. Some people have a specific date they can give you of when they accepted the Lord, when they got saved, and even the things in life that led them up to it. And for me, I don't have that. For me, it was just always. I've just always loved Jesus. I went to a private Christian school from kindergarten through uh, senior year graduation. And I lovingly say that I grew up under a rock because I didn't know anything about the outside world up until I started community college. And I knew that I was called to serve Jesus in the church from a really young age. 
I didn't know exactly what it was going to look like, and that was a little bit odd in my circle. Everybody in my circle seemed to know exactly where God had called them, really specifically, what they were supposed to do, and whether or not they were supposed to pastor or do any mission work or anything else. And I didn't know that. I just knew that I needed to serve God. That's what it looked like. I thought for a long time, you know, I have a knack for music. Like, my mom's a worship leader. I saw her leading every Sunday morning, and I thought, you know, I I could be like her. I could lead worship. I could do that for the rest of my life. So, you know, I pursued that in a way. And my parents played a huge part in promoting that heart of worship in me and encouraging that in me. So that's a bit how I grew up. You know, growing up the way that I did is a huge privilege. And I didn't realize it at the time. Now I know that, but I didn't know it back then. Everybody has their brokenness, and I had mine too. Everything that I explained that sounds good, and it was good, but I didn't understand it because my life was so different from a ton of other people that were my age. My circle was really small. I went to school and to church and to the grocery store and to my house, and those were the places that I knew. And other people's lives, they seemed so chill, so carefree. I wanted that, but I felt like I had a lot of expectations and responsibilities that maybe they didn't have. For some reason, I thought other people, they don't have pressure on their lives. It's just me. Cool. (laughs) I equated everything in my life to expectations. I had to be perfect at school and get amazing grades, know all the answers, and behave super well, or else maybe my teachers would not be happy with me. And I had to be good at church. I had to know all the answers there, know my Bible from front to back, know all of the people by name, say, I'm going to pray for you on a regular basis and fill the quota that I thought I had to fill, or else maybe the leadership wouldn't be happy with me. And that including, that included the idea of serve, serve, serve. Be there as often as you possibly can. Or else, you know, maybe you're not going to be good enough for them. And of course I had to be good at home. Or else my parents wouldn't be happy with me. You know, so everything seemed like a formula. If I wanted to have joy and be happy, then I needed to make sure that all the people in my life were happy that I was making them happy. And I did good in a lot of those areas. I graduated high school with excellent grades. I served at church in all sorts of different capacities. And I tried to behave at home. But something just didn't feel good enough. It seemed as though all the things I was doing didn't matter as much as the areas where I lacked. And that's where I felt like the focus was. Here's where she's not measuring up, and here's where she's not good enough. So that grew a little bit of a fear in me. It ended up being a lot of it of a fear. That fear of never being good enough. That became my identity. And I ended up becoming someone who had something to prove to everybody. I am capable 
I am strong. You will see that I am smart. I can do anything anybody else can do. Maybe if it's a little bit, you know, worse than they do it, but I can still do it. I needed to prove myself in every way, shape, and form. And I was afraid people were going to find out that it was a facade, that I wasn't good enough, that I'm not who you think I am. I was there Sunday mornings, and I served. Sunday evenings, and I served. I attended youth group while I was in middle school and high school, and then a young adults group. And the entire time, I was told, Gabby, you are a leader. You set an example for people. And that was yet another way that I felt I had to live up to expectations. I had to be good enough. I had to be that leader that they wanted me to be. It sure didn't feel like I could do it, though. I was doing everything asked of me. Yet I still felt like I just couldn't make people happy. What is going on here? And I wasn't fulfilled at all. But there was something else in me that was battling with this person who had something to prove. And that was this intense desire to serve the Lord. Like I said, I knew from a young age that I was supposed to serve God in ministry in some form or fashion. I was supposed to be serving God in the church. And I felt that pull from the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. I knew what that felt like. The Holy Spirit is familiar to me. And so he would nudge me. Missionaries would come and evangelists would come and they would share their stories. And I would just be mesmerized by everything that they had to say. These people they were living completely turned around lives for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the Lord. A lot of times they were in situations where Christianity and sharing the gospel was illegal. And so they had to work around a lot of that stuff. But they were the people that had the most joy. And I was like, this does not make sense. They're going through a lot of this hard stuff, but they are the most joyful people ever. They have the most passion for the Lord. And here I was serving away at my local church, trying to do all the right things, trying to be the right person. Yet I didn't feel that joy. I thought I'm sold out. My life is completely for Jesus, just like theirs is. But I didn't feel that joy, and something didn't line up. I was basing joy on my accomplishments, personally. It's that idea of trying really hard. I was trying really hard to be joyful. (laughs) And that doesn't work very well (laughs) if you just try really hard to be joyful. (laughs) It gets tiring after a while. It's not something that can withstand the things of life. Things will happen to you. And just trying really hard to be joyful is not something that can withstand that. So then I had this internal struggle going on. Over here, I had this just immense fear of failure and inadequacy and not measuring up, having something to prove, not being good enough, just fear, fear, fear. And then over here, I had this intense desire to serve God, to be an instrument for him to use. The two things battled each other for a while. 
and this side won out more so. I started to get a really skewed perspective of what serving the Lord meant and ultimately a skewed perspective of the Lord himself. Was the only way that I would be truly joyful if I served full-time as a missionary overseas and I had to go through a bunch of hard stuff just like they did? I mean, that seemed like it would work to me. It was a formula. But serving God in the church now meant making the leadership happy, meeting expectations, making sure that I fit the bill for what they were looking for in a leader. If I didn't, I felt like I got pushed away. If I said no to anything whatsoever, I felt like maybe I wouldn't get asked again. So then I equated this to God. God became a God of judgment and inadequacy and disapproval. And he was up there, just like a judge is, sitting there with his gavel, ready to come down and pronounce guilty on me. I thought, maybe if I checked all the right boxes, if I served even more, and if I gave every single waking moment to the church, then maybe God would see that. I was already doing a lot of that, by the way, and it wasn't working. But for some reason, I thought it would work for God. (laughs) I was constantly there at church. I was with people who served the Lord. But truthfully, I, I felt like some things were missing. It wasn't a place of joy for me anymore. Church became a place that I dreaded going to. Now, I had grown up there, and I was expected to keep going. And so having the place that you go the most often besides your house be a place that you dread just promotes more and more fear. I thought to myself, if this is what church is about, I don't want it. I'm not about it. I'm getting real tired of it. And you know what? Maybe God is just waiting for me to make a mistake. I was afraid of him. To go back a little bit, In the seventh grade, me and a few people, we started a youth group worship team, and it was rough. Um, (laughs) I mean, we had fun, but, but, I mean, we were rough. We were young. (laughs) We didn't know what we were doing, but we all had a heart for worship, and ultimately, the the three of us involved, uh, we were fulfilling something that was spoken over us as young children, that we were going to be worshipers, and uh, so that's what we were pursuing. Ultimately, that became an area of dread for me as well. I would get asked to lead a song, and come on, I knew I could do it, but I was afraid. I was afraid that I wasn't good enough and that I would make a mistake somehow and that God wouldn't be pleased with what I gave him. So I really wanted to say no a lot of times, but I didn't, and I kept moving forward. I pushed back a little bit, but I kept moving forward. That translated to the weekend worship team. I got a little bit older, got to be on the weekend worship team on Sunday mornings. And again, I would get asked to lead a song and I would have all of these doubts and inner turmoil within myself, say, I'm not good enough. I have something to prove. All of these people are 
sitting there watching me and waiting for me to make a mistake see that I'm not good enough to serve the Lord. I wanted to say no out of fear that I wasn't good enough, but I also couldn't say no out of fear that I wasn't good enough. And it was just this horrible cycle the whole time. So I actually became pretty bitter about it. I resented people for the way that I felt they treated me. And I was so tired of fighting to be joyful. Yet feeling like I could never get there. I thought I had to jump through 700 hoops to be joyful. And as soon as I got close enough to that 700, 700 more came. The list kept getting longer of things that I needed to do. And it was a no-win situation. So my personality began to change too. That little girl who would walk up to strangers, stranger kids, and, and introduce herself and make friends, she became reclusive and lived in a shell and hid away. I surprised myself by starting to say no to opportunities to serve. I had thought about it before, but I'd never done it. And I started actually saying no. I stepped back from some areas in ministry, and I fought the call of God on my life. I still knew that the Holy Spirit was calling me and nudging me. Gabby, you are here to serve me. You are here for that. But I let a lot of things get in the way. My relationships with a lot of people changed. My circle became even smaller. And I didn't know if anyone really understood what was going on in my life. I don't think I understood either. But I was just done at this point. By this time, I had graduated from community college, and I was taking a gap year in between that and then starting Northwest University. And I was dealing with anxiety and depression and a lot of shame. For me, it's easy to sit in that. I don't know if it is for you, but it's easy for me to sit in shame. I just remember thinking, Gabby, you have no right to be where you're at, to have the internal struggles that you do. You haven't gone through any trauma. You haven't gone through anything big. Your life has been fine. What's your problem? Get it together. So sitting in that shame And self-deprecation just took me further and further down the spiral. And it really didn't leave any room for joy in my life anymore. That was pretty much gone. But God. (laughs) Even though I was dealing with all this stuff and I was so focused in on myself, I still read the Bible sometimes. And I mean, I had to for college anyway. So I can't remember exactly why, but on a really low night, I felt that familiar nudge of the Holy Spirit saying, read Psalm 23, read Psalm 23. I thought to myself, this is the millionth time that I've read Psalm 23. I can quote it to you front and back and back and front. I can quote it in my sleep. This is old news. But for some reason, I opened up my Bible anyway And I read it, and I'm going to read it to you now. 
It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I will not be in need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for the sake of his name. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil and my cup overflows. Certainly, goodness and faithfulness will follow me all the days of my life and my dwelling will be in the house of the Lord forever. You know, I had grown up being taught that the word of God is living and active. And I had plenty of experiences with scripture being that way. Things would stand out to me. I would get convicted by some stuff. God became more familiar to me that way. But it hadn't happened in a while. Reading this scripture, I began to weep as the words jumped off the pages. And I read it over and over and over and over again. I had been struggling so much internally and so focused in on myself and my own struggle and shame that I had forgotten about the true nature of God. I really noticed what this scripture lists the Lord as. He's my shepherd. He's my caretaker. He is my leader. He's the one who restores my soul. He's my guide. He's my ever-present help. He's my comforter. And he's my provider. And the list is not over there. The words came alive and the blinders of fear about God's character came off. I was reminded that the God who I had equated only with judgment was instead a God who cared deeply about me simply because I was his. I belonged before I ever had to do anything. There was no checklist. He wasn't holding it up and saying, well, now that you've done everything here, here, and here, and fulfilled all of my expectations, now you can have joy. He just wanted me to be. This was the beginning of freedom for me and the beginning of joy again. My understanding of God also separated from my understanding of people. I realized, you know what? People are flawed, and that's okay. They'll hurt you sometimes, and you'll hurt them back. And maybe you need to go through some forgiveness there, Gabby, but you know what? God is good. God is good, and more specifically, good to me. This was fundamental to realizing that I was trying so hard to win someone's approval when I already had it, and he just wanted me to live in it. I had nothing to prove to God. And it was a process, and it still is, but I keep going back to scripture that tells the truth about God's character. 
I realized also, Gabby, you're shackled to some chains here. You have a lot of fear. You're shackled to the chains of bitterness and resentment and inadequacy. And the list can go on there. But, but Jesus didn't die on the cross for my sins and then raise from the actual dead so that I would be living in chains for the rest of my life. So that I would be living in the bondage of shame. He did that so I would be free. So instead of trying to manage my personal anxieties, I knew that I could be free from them. Instead of living under the pressures of inadequacy, I decided to serve God because he's good. And that's it. I don't need to serve God for any other reason except that he's good to me. And instead of living out of the need to strive and perform for approval, my strength is in the joy of the Lord. Because it's nothing I have to strive for. I am confident in the goodness of God, and that is what gives me joy. A couple of verses for you. Ephesians 1.18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the boundless greatness of his power toward us who believe. And Romans 15.13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing in that verse says I have to do anything to get that joy. Well, I have to trust. I have to trust in God. And he fills me with that joy. I don't do anything else to get it. It's not checking off boxes. It's not making sure that God has seen that I'm good enough. He straight up just fills me with joy. When I ask him for it, he fills me because I trust in him. It's from him. I was so used to just trying so hard and striving. So I didn't even know what it looked like to just be and just let God do his thing. And that's why it's still a process, but it's a process that I can still have confidence in because God has come through every single time. Because of the change that God has done in my life, I now have an actual weapon against fear and the other chinks that are in my armor. And that weapon is joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength when fear comes knocking at my door and tells me that I'm not good enough. I don't have to just fight really hard to make it go away. I rely completely on the joy of the Lord to be my strength. Because of this, I can be free from anxiety. I can be free from waiting for others' approval. I don't have to worry about whether or not I measure up to people's expectations. God's got me. And his joy is my strength for each and every day. You know, 
the culture that this church lives in is joyful. It's really joyful. I love it. There are tons of things to be celebrated. And I feel like we do a really good job of that. But you know what? Maybe you personally are feeling a lack in that right now. Maybe something from my story spoke to yours. Maybe you're struggling with some fear right now, some feelings of inadequacy. Maybe you want the meaning of true joy to become true for you. Maybe you've been relying on your own strength for a long time. Maybe you're exhausted and you want to know the full realization realization of the joy of the Lord and understand that that's where your actual strength comes from. And maybe you feel like you're shackled to some chains and you're pulling them along and you want to be free from that. You know what? I would love to pray with you. I would love to pray with you and for you. Because we serve a God who answers prayer, who is faithful to us. His character is nothing but good. And that's why we can have joy. It's like I said, it's the complete confidence in the goodness of God. You know, at the end here, a few people are going to come up to pray with me and I'll be ready to pray with you after we take a moment here. But if you'll stand with me. I just want to thank God for who he is and give us a moment to be in his presence. God, I thank you. I thank you for being good. I thank you for being good to me. Thank you for giving me the confidence that I needed in your character by showing me through Psalm 23 who you are. God, if there's anyone else in this room that this speaks to or anyone online, God, would you stir their hearts right now? Would you remind them of your good character? of the fact that you cared for them before they ever did anything for you or for anybody else. We were at a women's retreat not too long ago here and uh, I felt this phrase stirring in my heart that I've had it, I've had it for a long time stirring. And it was before you ever put your uniform on, I approved of you. Before I ever put my facade on of joy and my need to prove something, my need to be good enough, God already said, you're mine. God, I pray that if that spoke to somebody today, God, that they'd come to see me (laughs) so that I can pray for them. Would you release people today from some chains that they feel like they're being held on to? 
God, would you fill the void in their life with your complete and perfect joy and your peace that surpasses all understanding? God, would we just be filled with more and more of your presence today? We love you and we praise you. And we thank you so much for just being who you are. You are such a good God. Thank you, Lord. Let's sing this together. How marvelous. We're going to close right now. And we just, I loved Gabby's message this morning. I know you did and that it encouraged all of us. And so we're opening up this front. If you have prayer, if you need prayer, if something that Gabby spoke, if you need that Psalm 23 or whatever it is, there'll be some of us that wait here. But for the rest of you, we are as we're going to continue to sing and worship, but we bless your day. And we're just so thankful that you were here this morning with us. But please do if there, if you would love to have somebody lay hands on you, pray with you, there'll be those of us this morning. Um, Gabby and Ozzy will be on this side as well. So God bless you guys. And we just want to say, let's just all say together that God is good. Yes, God is good.